If you want to grab your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Uh, what a great time of worship it's been and just be able to come before the Lord and just sit before His feet and just drink upon His living water. And I pray that the Holy Spirit tonight would really uh, minister to your heart, uh, bring you closer to Him, and maybe uh, get down there deep. Maybe there's some things in there that God really wants to speak to us about tonight. So, uh, Luke chapter 12. Let's go ahead and pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you tonight, God, for uh, your word. And just as Zach was saying, Lord, we thank you that you are our Lord God. And we just want to hear from you. And, and we're here as your people, as your servants, God. And we just want to do what you want. And so, Lord, I pray you minister to our hearts, that you speak to our hearts, convict us, Lord, where we need convicting, changes where we need changing, God. And may we be just refreshed in your word tonight. And we ask, God, for your touch, your anointing with your Holy Spirit. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. And uh, the title of our message tonight is actually The Delusion of Greed. The Delusion of Greed. Years, years ago... <coughs> Excuse me. This book came out called The Day America Told the Truth. And inside were the results of a national survey to different questions, which sadly revealed the deepest secrets of what really matters to people. And one of the questions was this, kind of interesting. The question was, what are you willing to do for $10 million? The answers varied, but what the survey found, sadly, was this. 25% said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 25% uh, said they would abandon their church. Oh, how dare they, huh? 23% said they would be willing to, be, to become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said they would give up their American citizenships. Uh, another 16% said they would be willing to leave their spouses. How sad is that? 10% said they would withhold their testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% said they would kill a stranger. Isn't that crazy? I'm glad it's only a small percentage. And lastly, 3% said they would put their children up for adoption. Shocking to see what people would do for $10 million, how far some are willing to go for money. This really shows that delusion of what really greed, yeah, desire for money and more money brings. And it's so sad to me, making you give up your family, God, and all decency, your morals and principles. It's crazy. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of Luke, Jesus confronts covetousness. Jesus exposes really what we're talking about just now, the delusion of greed. We're going to be studying Luke chapter 12 from verse 13 through 21 tonight. And our outline is really just two headings. And uh, number one, the foolish demand. And number two, the foolish rich man. So those are our 
headings tonight. This is what will cover these two sections. Let's begin with number one, the foolish demand. The foolish demand. Now, here we're going to cover verse 13 through 15 in this first part. But let's first take a look at Luke chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. It says here, But someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator arbitrator over you? So we'll stop right here. Now, here we begin with how someone now in the crowd, in the multitude of people uh, that are following and are with Jesus and that are just trying to get a, a word from him and, and uh, hearing his teaching and all. Someone from the crowd steps up, calls out to Jesus, and you got to understand, this is like right in the middle of him teaching, right? Last time we saw how Jesus was teaching the disciples. He was talking to the disciples, probably others were listening in, and he was trying to teach them about how not to be a Pharisee, right? The Pharisees pretended to be godly on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of pride, they, they're selfish inside. Remember, the Pharisees were into position, power, and money. So, it's interesting, the very thing that Jesus had talked about, here comes up this man uh, asking this question on this subject, really, of, of money and wanting more. Now, this guy seems to come in, interrupt, but in, and demand, actually, that Jesus tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. Well, there was a family feud going on. It probably got heated. And usually the firstborn son gets a majority of the inheritance. Um, the firstborn probably gets a double portion in Jewish tradition. And most likely this is a Jewish man coming up saying his brother should share it with him. And it seems unfair to him that maybe the brother's getting some. Something's going on here where he just felt like it was unfair. He's not getting his portion of the inheritance that he wished he would have. So Jesus replies here in verse 14. And first of all, he says, man. Now, it's more like he's saying, sir. That, that's kind of the idea. He's like, well, sir. And then he goes on. So he says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to make a legal call. I'm not some local judge here. This is, this is not like a courthouse. We're, we're here to hear God's word. Now, normally, uh, the rabbis would, uh, people would come up to the local rabbi, and if there's, there's something going on like this, they, they go to the rabbi to, to get some advice and to get a ruling from him. But Jesus is saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. No, I, this is not why I'm here. So this is a foolish demand on his part for, and here's the first thing I want you to see, Jesus came to preach to the heart not to settle the man's legal matters. It's true, uh, Jesus is the judge of the earth. But remember, his first coming, it wasn't to settle legal disputes at all. It was to bring the word of God, die on a cross for our sins and rise again from the dead. Him to make salvation, right? And he came preaching the word, salvation, and representing the Father there, and showing people who God really is. And, and so, 
here's this man. He's like, no, you got to settle this. But Jesus is like, man, sir, you know, look, I'm, I'm not the judge over these matters. Because Jesus came to preach to the heart, not to settle the man's legal matters. The, the man's here. He just wanted Jesus to fulfill what he wanted to get done, right? I mean, that's what we see here. He, he wanted a portion of his inheritance. And, and so he comes to Jesus and Jesus, come on, you, you got to fulfill what I want to get done. Get my inheritance for me. Interesting. Warren Wiersbe wrote this about this man. He said, like too many people today, they wanted Jesus to serve them, but not to save them. And I thought that was a really, really good point in bringing this out. Because the man's like coming to Jesus for a reason, but not to hear from him, not to hear his teaching, not to be saved from him. No, it was, it was just to get something done for him. So in a sense here, it's like this, this man is coming and he wants Jesus to serve him. And Jesus saying, and no wonder Jesus is like, wait, no, sir, this is not why I'm here. I'm here to save people. I think you and I, we, we can do that sometimes. We come to church to get our agenda done. Not really to hear from God. Not hear from the Holy Spirit speaking to us. Not really to learn from, from the Bible, what the Bible is saying. Not really to, to seek what God would want for our lives or, or to have our lives change at all. But sometimes we, just, we come with this intention to get something and make Jesus our servant and not have Him be our Lord. So interesting insight, I think, from Warren Wiersbe here. So here's this man wanting to get this thing settled, and he wants Jesus to do that very thing. Well, look at verse 15 now. It says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in an abundance of his possessions. So then Jesus adds something here. He says to the man and everyone around, and he turns this into this, this teaching. He really points it into the heart of what's going on. And first of all, he says, take care. Now, in the ESV, that, the translation that we're using in our study here, he says, take care. And that those two words of our English word is actually one Greek word, horao, horao. And it means like, see this. It means like, mark this. Literally, the Greek word means to stare at this. In other words, put all your attention on what I'm about to say. You know, I was thinking about when our kids were small um, and, and we'd have to really talk seriously to them. I, and they'd be like looking around, you're trying to talk to them, right? You know, as kids, I go, hey, look in my eyes, look into my eyes, you know. And then I get their attention and they know I'm being serious. And th this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, take care, take care, pay attention to this. And then he says here in verse 15, and be on your guard. Really, in the Greek, it's a military term. It's, it's, it's really talking about have a close watch on this. Watch out for, for this. And what is that? Be on your guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is really another word for greediness. It's, it's, it's like being obsessive, desiring more and more things. So Jesus warns, first of all, here, 
And number one here, when he is really putting this out, he says, be on your guard against covetousness. Be on your guard against covetousness. Now, let me give you a definition of covetousness. Um, Maybe really make it clear here. Covetousness is the unquenchable thirst of wanting more and more of something you think you need in order to be truly happy. We'll keep that on the screen for a while. That's covetousness. It's, it's that continual desire to want more and want desire more of something and whatever that is. And we see here that the guy is really after money from the inheritance. That's what he wants. Uh, he wants more of that. He wants more of that, uh, whether it's a, maybe it's land or possession, but he wants more. And, and that's what Jesus is really, really pointing into. And that's that greediness. So covetousness is the unquenchable thirst of wanting more and more of something you think you need in order to be truly happy. Take a moment and turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Turn over to the right, to the book of Colossians. Go past all the Gospels, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, past Ephesians, and then you'll hit Colossians there. Colossians chapter 3. And look at verse 5. Paul the Apostle wrote here in Colossians 3, verse 5. He wrote, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and, what does he write here? Covetousness, which is what? Idolatry. Isn't that interesting, right? When you put something... Uh, uh, in your desire, right, in your sights, and you want more and more and more, most of the time that replaces God. And that one thing, and as we're talking about money, can become an idol in your life. The amount in your bank account, the amount that you have amassed, uh, all your possessions, whatever that is, if you continue to want and want, thinking that will make you happy, and then usually God takes the second place, then that, then what happens? That thing money becomes an idol and really that's what greed does greed puts money there uh things there and makes it into an idol have you done that have you replaced god with some idol i always challenge myself with this question what is the master passion in my life is it really jesus is it the lord If there's something else in place, then I've made that thing an idol before the Lord. So then we see here, first of all, be on your guard against covetousness. And then Jesus explains why. And here's number two. Here's the second point, uh, or the second thing Jesus is saying here. Uh, Life is not about how much you can get. Life is not about how much you can get. He goes on to say in verse 15, Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. Your life, it doesn't consist, like your life is not all about the abundance of what you have, your possessions, how much wealth, how much money, because those things will never bring satisfaction in your life. See, Jesus knew the problem of this guy, right? He knew exactly what was going on in his heart. He knew The problem wasn't so much with his brother here. The problem was the issue that is going on in his heart. 
the problem was he was thinking what he wanted, the inheritance, his portion, he thought that was going to make him more happier. That was going to make him more satisfied. That will make him feel more fulfilled or comfortable. That's why this man was so, you know, just interrupting whatever was going on. This man pushed his way forward to ask a foolish demand of Jesus. This man thought his brother was the problem, but a deeper issue was it, it was his own heart. Greediness inside his own heart. And that's the delusion of greediness. Thinking life is, is about how much you can get. So Jesus is saying, look, look, beware. Yeah, watch out. You know, be on guard against covetousness because life is not about how much you can get. You know, in this last Super Bowl, uh, 2021, I was reading advertisers had to pay an average of $5.6 million now for a 30-second commercial. I mean, that that's crazy that they would pour that much money out. But they know, it's Super Bowl, everyone watching, it's a great place to put your ad out, you know, pour all your ad revenue into that. And all the money and the effort uh, they make here, right, in, in, in the Super Bowl ads and commercials, right? Because they want to get you. They want to make money off of you. They entice you to buy what they have. So why? You can be happy and fulfilled and satisfied. Someone once put it this way. The trouble is too many people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. <laughs> I like that one. Right? We're, we're, we're always after these things. So the advertisers know that. And, and they're going to try and draw you in. And they're going to really touch on the, that, that greediness inside of stuff. Oh, we got to have more. We got to have more than the other person. Or we want this. And, and those things that we really don't need, but we're greedy for. That's the delusion of greed. Is covetousness causing you to make foolish demands, foolish decisions, choices, just because the greed in your heart? Do you now maybe recognize with our definitions here and what Jesus is saying, do you recognize greed inside your heart? I think we, we all have a little bit of it inside of us. We all have a little bit there. And sometimes we allow it to fester, to allow it to grow. And perhaps tonight, you're recognizing, oh, I see what's going on. Greed has crept into my life and it's starting to take over. It's easy. It's easy to want more, to be greedy for more. Long, long time ago, a major American company had trouble keeping employees from working in this assembly plant in Panama. This was a long time ago. The laborers generally came from this farming life, agrarian life, and and they bartered, it was sort of a bartering e economy, and then they worked for this company, and the company was paying them cash. But this created a problem since the average employee made more ca cash in one week than he had ever seen, so the employee ended up quitting, quit working and being satisfied with just what he made. So that, that created a company, I mean a problem. So the company executives came up with a solution they gave each of the workers a Sears catalog. That's a, back then. It's kind of like the Amazon of that time. Then no one quit. 
They were all coveting what was in that catalog and kept spending their money on that. Crazy, huh? They were okay without it until, oh, here, get this. But that's the delusion of greed and watch out. Don't be fooled by it. Don't be fooled. So this is the foolish demand. But with this foolish demand, it prompted Jesus to tell this parable. And this is number two. It's about the foolish rich man. The foolish rich man. Take a look at the word going to be covering verse 16 through 21. But let's take the first part from verse 16 through 19 right now. And he told them a parable, verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I'll stop there. Now, Jesus gives this parable. He told them a parable, verse 16. What's a parable? Well, a parable is a story to illustrate some spiritual truth or principle of God. Uh, it's to teach a lesson, basically. It's, it's, it's like an analogy or metaphor sometimes. But it's usually this story that he tells to help uh, uh, understand the truth, maybe even bring it home in, into our hearts better. So... He tells this parable, this story of how the fields of this rich man, and think about this, the man was rich already, right? He's a rich man already. He's already well off. Well, the fields produce, his land produced plentifully. There's a bumper crop. You know what? God blessed him in the harvest. So, I'm going to put it this way. Chapter 1 in the in this story is about the bountiful harvest, Nothing wrong with being blessed by God. There's nothing wrong with being blessed by God. So chapter 1, right away, Jesus tells, hey, this rich man, he got blessed. God blessed him. And you know what? There's nothing wrong about that. God blessed many people in the Bible with wealth. Remember Abraham? He had, a, he, he had around him a thousand people, his family and servants. He had flocks, herds. And you know, he had a lot of gold and silver. This is all Genesis 24 tells us. He was very well off. Job, you remember Job before his trial? He was very prosperous, had a big family. And even after the big trial, God blessed him double. And, he, and it says in Job 42 that he had more than the first, than what he had before. King Solomon, he was the richest of all the Israeli kings. He, you know, every year he received, it says in 1 Kings 10, 25 tons of gold every year in just taxes. And, and in addition to like taxes from merchants and all. Today, that 25 tons of gold would be worth $1.1 billion. So he was receiving $1.1 billion a year. He was pretty well off. And I also think of Joseph of Arimathea, right? He was rich enough to have his own personal tomb. And that was available. He made it available for Jesus to be buried in. And that's where he rose from the dead. So there's nothing wrong with being blessed by God and having wealth. And so there's nothing wrong. This rich man, God blessed him. He, there was nothing wrong with being blessed with having wealth. Nothing wrong with having money. But if the money has you, that's... Ooh, that's the problem. That's the problem. 
First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pangs. That desire, that covetousness, that First Timothy 6.10 is talking about that. Notice it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, some people misquote it misquote this and say money is the root of evil but it's not it's that love it's that covetousness and desire of money so chapter one the bountiful harvest there's nothing wrong with being blessed by god well then it goes on to chapter two in this story and the chapter two is about the bigger barns and with that he only showed his covetous heart. So verse 17 and 18, as we read, right? He, the man faces this dilemma. He has so much crops, so, such a bumper harvest, that there's no more room to store his crops. All the grain silos are full. What's the solution? Well, I'm going to tear them down, and I'm going to build bigger ones, large ones. I'm going to expand now. And then that way, I could keep more. That's his idea. But keep more for what? For him. Self. I mean, think about this. He could have sold the grain, right? He could have gave them the grain away. He, he could have helped provide for people selling it, feed others. He had already plenty. He was a rich man and he wanted more, but he wanted more for his own self, right? So he showed his covetous heart by building the bigger barns. He was gripped by the hands of grief and he only wanted more of what he had. I was reading about this lady. Her name was Leona Mindy Roberts Helmsley. She was known as the Queen of Mean. That's what everyone called her. She owned a string of hotels um, in the New York area, like uh, the Ritz-Carlton. She owned like apartment buildings, hotels, and they say she even owned the Empire State Building. <laughs> Well, this penny-pitching tyrant was actually worth an estimate of $5 billion. After her son died suddenly in 1982, Leona evicted the surviving family, sued them, and won the son's estate plus $149,000 in the inheritance. And she left her son's children $432 each and the widow just $2,171. Crazy. She had plenty already, yet she wanted more. You can see that delusion of greed. It blinds you to how ugly that is, right? Here's this guy. I'm just going to build more, bigger barns and keep it. Yeah, It just shows his covetous heart there. Well, we go on to chapter 3 in this story. And we come to the boundless indulgences, down, boundless indulgences. The man, he splurged on only himself. And that's verse 19 of what we read. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. And so he's like talking to himself. He's saying, soul, hey, you've done good for yourself. You, you have ample goods. You've, you've laid up enough for yourself here for many years. So you know what? You're set. You're set for the rest of your life. So, you know, just kick back, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Indulge yourself. It's kind of like, oh, I can party now. Life's a party. I can just keep going. 
Notice something here in verse 18 and 19. Notice how many times he uses those personal pronouns like I and my. Verse 18, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, build a large one. I will store all my grain, my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. So, so it's all about him at that moment. It's all about the looking at himself. Now take note here. There's nothing wrong to financially plan for the future. Save up for college for the kids or, or retirement, invest, yeah, to have a good business plan or, 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 or those things. There's nothing wrong with that, no, nothing at all. In Genesis, remember, Joseph stored up a portion of the harvest every year be, to, to, to uh, plan for the future drought that the Lord told him was coming. So nothing is wrong with preparing, planning, any of this. But this rich man... His, his motive was really just for himself. So he can spend it all. So he can have it all. He didn't care or acknowledge even how that it was God who was the one who blessed his crops, right? It wasn't his, his smarts or his, his thing. God brought the rain, the sun, grew the plants, everything. It was God who blessed the harvest. And he didn't even acknowledge the one who blessed him with that bumper crop. Wearsby asked a very searching question in his commentary. He asked, do we think of enjoyment or investment? I like that. Are we just going to enjoy it for ourselves? Or are we going to take what God blessed us with? And actually money, we're really, uh, we're given money as stewards of his money. Actually, Jesus talks about that. But is it about for our own enjoyment or investment? I mean, a self-centered person thinks only of enjoyment, yeah, of enjoying God's gifts and blessing. But a spiritually-minded person thinks of investment. Like, we, we should ask ourselves, how we can use these gifts for God to help others, you know? And that's really the, the idea. All right, so... Chapter 1 in this uh, story, we saw the bountiful harvest. There's nothing wrong with being blessed by God. Chapter 2, the bigger barns. He only showed his covetous heart. Chapter 3, the boundless indulgences. The, the man, he just splurged on, him, on himself. And then now we come to chapter 4, the bad planning. And this is where God comes into the picture. The man may be rich in this world, um, but he'll be poor in the next so he may be rich in this world, but he'll be poor in the next. Bad planning here. Look at verse 20 and 21. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, uh, prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So with all his plans, this rich man, with all he made, uh, and, and then all the things that he did, and, and, and increasing the, his storage for the grain, God is like, what, all this that you're planning to do, and all this that you're going to do, and, and all, he says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Tonight, basically, it's your time to die. It's like, how foolish you making these plans, thinking you could do all this. How foolish to do all that. 
Then God says, whose will they be? The NLT puts it this way, then who will get everything you worked for? In other words, everything you stored, everything you made bigger is worth nothing to you when you die. You ever see that bumper sticker? He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah, you ever hear that phrase? You know, like this competition, guys. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, you know, um, uh, uh, collect things and we're gonna buy things. And he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, let me tell you, it's not true, because it's more like he who dies with the most toys is just dead. That's it. They don't win. They're just dead. Shortly after the death of a very, very rich man, someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave behind? The accountant answered, everything. You can't take these things with you. So God's saying, how foolish. Your focus is in just amassing more. Your your greediness has deluded you in thinking, that's okay, but it was bad planning. So then Jesus comments on this parable in verse 21, and and he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So so is the one who thinks his life is about getting more, getting all the toys and winning that, that way, about keeping more. Well, that person is not rich toward God. They're not investing toward the eternal kingdom of God. The man saw his riches as an opportunity to please himself and no one else. But Jesus is calling. You can see him talking maybe even to this man who came up to him like, hey, hey, you know, tell my brother to divide inheritance. Jesus is calling all of us to be rich toward God, to be investing in building God's kingdom, not our own. Yeah, not our own. So here's a definition for what Jesus said here, that we should be rich toward God. Being rich toward God means to take what God blessed you with and invest it back toward building and furthering the eternal kingdom of God. You guys, let's not be like this rich man. Whether... You have a lot in a bank or little in a bank. Let's not make the same mistake and lay up treasure on earth and not in heaven. Let us obey what God has said here in his word. John Phillips said he mistook his bank book for his Bible. How many times we can focus in on the wrong things. And especially when it comes to money. Some people are really pulled into that. What's important to you today? What is that? Is it investing in God's kingdom? Is is it furthering His kingdom? Is that what's important? Then whatever monies we have or possessions, we will be given over to doing that, to, to be using that for His glory. I want to close with this tonight. By age 23, John D. Rockefeller was a millionaire. At the age of 43, he controlled the biggest company in the world, Standard Oil. At at age 50, he was the richest man on earth, a billionaire in 1889. You probably heard of that name, Rockefeller. 
and, and they're famous because of the money they had and all that. Well, in 1889, he was a billionaire, but three years later after that, he got very, very sick. His body was racked with pain and all his hair fell out. His weekly income was actually $1 million. He could buy anything he wanted, but he could only eat milk and crackers. That's all he, he could hold. One of his associates wrote, he could not sleep, would not smile, and nothing in life meant anything to him. His personal doctors predicted he would die within a year. Then one morning, he awoke only remembering from a dream that he could not take one dime uh, into the next life. Money was not everything. All of a sudden, he's talking about things like that. He called his attorneys, accountants, managers, announced that he was a changed man. He then channeled his assets into the John D. Rockefeller Foundation, through which, interesting enough, eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, diphtheria, and other discoveries. He continued giving greatly to his Baptist church, uh, to missions, he added to his list of philanthropy, schools, colleges, and provided major funding for, for college for Afro-American women in Atlanta. And you know what the amazing thing is? The moment he began giving, he got better. He began to sleep. He began to eat. He began to really smile, his family said. The doctors had predicted he would not live past the age of 54, but John D. Rockefeller lived to be 98. Awesome. Are you willing to change your perspective tonight? Maybe you're connected online and, 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 and ask yourself. Maybe all of us here, we've got to ask yourself, what, are we willing to do what really matters with our money, with our possessions? Interesting how Rockefeller, he understood greed. One time uh, he was asked, how much does it take to make a man happy? His answer, just one more dollar. It's always that, right? A little bit more, a little bit more. And so that's it, you guys. If, if we're coveting these things, and we're allowing our flesh and sin, our sinful flesh to do that, we're, we're, we're never going to be happy. We're always going to be chasing that carrot. But what we need to be is on guard for the delusion of greed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be your servant, God, and we don't want to be the master. We want to hear you and listen for you, God. And in this study tonight, Lord, we want to have the right perspective on our monies, on our possessions, Lord, on what covetousness is and to be on guard about it. Forgive us, Lord, for times we allowed our greed or covetousness to kick in. Oh, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. But Lord, forgive us for that attitude. Help us to do your will with the monies that we have. Help us to do your will in what we have or don't have. Help us to do your will and what we spend, God. Lord, we know that from Ephesians, I mean Philippians 4, that you will provide for our needs. But 
not all are what we think, Lord, is needs. Sometimes we say our wants is our needs. But you said that you would provide for our needs, not our greeds. So, Lord, help us see things in a correct way tonight. And in what we learn, dear Jesus, let us apply it and live it. And let us be submitted to you in every single part of our life, Lord. Where we go, what we say, what we do, and what we desire in our hearts, Lord. So here we are, God. We lift up to you our money, our possessions. They're all submitted to you, God. Have your way and help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. <laughs>